home for nine to 12 discrete topics, depending on how tired we are. My name's Nathan, your most lightning-ish host. It's another lightning round, guys. Woo! (laughs) (laughs) My name is Andy, your zippy-zappy host. I'm Pat, your Watts, Volts, Amps host. (laughs) It's we've done so many of these now. It is hard. Like I keep on wanting to go to the Thorwell, but like he's like still the god of thunder. He was never the god of lightning. It doesn't even make any sense. Well, he was in Marvel. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but still the god of thunder. Also, not the god of hammers. No, no, notably, that's just his his favorite toy. Anyway, uh, how's everybody doing? We've got another fun week of stuff to talk about. Sure, nobody's... Yeah, so I have a good one. So yeah. um, I, I ha- am signed up for the, uh, I believe it's the Johnson & Johnson. Ooh, uh, nice. 8 a.m. tomorrow. It's, uh, so it's at the Wolstein Center. What I, And my belief is that the Wolstein Center has the Johnson & Johnson. I don't know that for a fact. I can tell you that secondhand. Sarah, my wife, got mm-hmm. both her shots at the Wolstein Center. And they had the Moderna shot when okay. she went. They had the Pfizer well, So maybe it's me. Moderna. I got I'm mine at Wolstein and it was Pfizer. I'm totally unsure. If I do get the Johnson & Johnson, I believe it is one shot. Yes. One and done, which is pretty dope. Uh, I may have kind of a day tomorrow. It was... Or, you know, the following day. Yeah, Sarah had, like, her arm hurt and she felt tired for a few hours. I got my second shot last Thursday and I was, like, dead on my feet for a couple of days. Just so tired. My arm hurt pretty bad. But still totally worth it. But I'm here to tell you that uh, peer pressure and <laughs> nagging wait, work. Um, Sarah, enough. Wait, real quick. Sarah just sent me a text while we're recording and said, yeah. uh, not Moderna, fact check, exclamation point. And apparently she got the <laughs> Pfizer one. <laughs> oh, she got Pfizer. Okay. Um, yeah, so... Uh, fact check from beyond. Enough of my friends and family and relatives have nagged me for long enough and (laughs) bothered me for long enough (laughs) that I signed up for it. Um, I think my my sister's coming to town in a few weeks, so I would like to be well and vaxxed by the time that she comes up to visit from Texas. So that'll be nice. Get to see Mm -hmm. her husband. Husband now. Woo. Nice. Has their uh, their stuff thought out yet? Yeah, no. I mean, it's still cold down there, but um, Is it really? it's no longer. Yeah, no. I mean, for Texas standards, Do you know, it's still cold. since we never followed up with her, like, did she have any pipe problems or anything like that? Did did they have any like problems with their pipes bursting because it got too cold or anything? Um, no. I mean, she she didn't have any problems with pipes bursting, but they they went out of their way to make sure that that didn't happen. <laughs> well, a good, and I think she talked about that a little bit. They let their they let their faucets drip. Mm-hmm. Which is a like we here in Ohio know exactly how to do all that, right? Yeah, and people who are Texas natives don't necessarily no. It, um, well, especially considering they told them like not to do that to let it like drip a little bit, <laughs> like that was just the wrong information to give. So good, that's great, right? So I'll be yeah, I'll be able to hug my family again. I haven't been able to see like a lot of my relatives in basically a year. 
Um, so it'll be super nice. Yeah. Cool. And see my see my nephews, see my mom. What I know, and, like the and whole, you'll be able to play D and D in person. Exactly, like the whole D and D group. Like we've been we've been playing. What is it? It's certainly been over a year that yeah. we've been playing distanced over Zoom. Well, I think it's I think it's debatable. Like I mean, it, it is it is nice to be in person. I think it's debatable which is superior, but um, yeah, I mean, it's nice to have the option right. to not be like restricted by. I certainly prefer D&D in person. I think we found that this process, recording the podcast, works significantly better Mm -hmm. when we are in our individual locations. Um, So I, well, Caitlin and I finished the the new Falcon and Winter Soldier series Mm. from Marvel. And I got to say, so first of all, it was fantastic. But second of all, more importantly... That and WandaVision have been so outstanding yeah. that I have been going back and rewatching all of the movies like multiple times in the last few months just because I like the shows stir oh man, I want to go back and rewatch this movie now and oh forget how this character kinda I I'm just really, really impressed. And I know <laughs> there's a lot of reasons to not like Disney, but they make just an outstanding product. Yeah, that's that has been the thing, like with <laughs> with their stuff. Like, man, you're doing a really good job. Like, I want to dislike so you. <laughs> it's sort of like Elon with the billionaires. I certainly hate the billionaires, but you gotta like his style. Well, uh, no, you don't. He's got a very <laughs> iffy style, like oh, controversial man. style. But oh, like, exactly, <laughs> but exactly. Yeah. I'm not. Uh, I should say. I think with Disney, it's kind of more like Oprah in, in, as a billionaire, right? right. Like, who not, doesn't like Oprah? I'm not saying whether I like his style or not. What I am saying is that I enjoy how crazy he is and how he doesn't care that he has to have a certain mm. like attitude because he is a billionaire. Fair enough. So good. Uh, Andy's been watching some Marvel. Anything else? No, not really. Just work and stuff. Cool. And I will finish off. I sort of told you guys this before we started recording. Uh, my aunt is, uh, while we record this podcast, actively uh, shuffling off this mortal coil. She's not She's not doing well. Uh, I will say uh, she's with it enough where she was able to tell my mother that she's not in any pain or at least nod because she can't speak anymore. Um, this is uh, the one in California? No, that one already died. Oh, I'm sorry. It's it's okay. okay. No, it is uh, like I've had so many people die. It's hard to keep track. Right, exactly. I don't mean to be crass about it. But. <laughs> uh, no, uh, she's in Ohio, and luckily my mom's been able to see her a bunch through this whole process. And yeah, it, it's um, I feel like I've sort of exhausted what I can say about this in terms of like it is what it is. I I love my aunt dearly, and. Of the people who have died, she is certainly the person who's closest to me, but there's mm. there's not much to be done. I will say, uh, let me tell, uh, I know we're trying to get out of this uh, opening bit, but let me tell my favorite story about my aunt. And from when I was very small, I always said that my Aunt Jenny was my favorite aunt, and she loved that, and she'd talk about it all the time, like, oh, it's my favorite nephew and stuff like that. And, like, I ate it up to the point where she invited me to stay at her house I guess it was a, really a trailer, but like for me, it was great. So I, I was spending the night and I was super excited because she had Lucky Charms and we did not have sugared cereal at my house. And I was very excited. So I had, like before she got up, 
I think it was there on a Saturday, and I always wake up early on Saturday because that's when cartoons are. So I sure. turn on the TV really, really softly, got myself a bowl of Lucky Charms, and she had these cool juice drinks. She had like four of them, and I didn't want to drink them all, so I grabbed two of them. And I'm, I'm eating the Lucky Charms, and it's the most delicious thing I ever had. And these juice drinks taste funny. And that is Nathan's story of, I think I was like seven, eight years old. And that is the first time uh, that uh, Nathan had a wine cooler. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, nice. Oh, wow. That's, that's so funny. two of them. Uh, oh, boy. And it was... How old were you? I don't remember. I was little. Like, not... Wow. Not 10. <laughs> and uh, I don't remember a ton about the rest of that day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> the first time I remember uh, drinking alcohol, um, my parents were having a like a barbecue. They had all their friends over, um, you know, and they had like coolers with beer. And their their beer of choice was um, at the time MGD nice. Miller Genuine Draft. And I was probably like seven ish. Like I was old enough that like I was forming memories in stuff, but I was definitely like a little kid just sort of running around with a whole bunch of adults smoking and drinking like it was anyway cigarettes smoking cigarettes my parents weren't that fun um <laughs> just kidding mom anyway you're saying she does smoke weed i'm i'm getting like yeah. mixed signals oh i have pat actually pat was there for a fun story about that actually but that's a different story um <laughs> so this is so, going to be a lightning round about like stories no. about our family this is the sure. This, uh, so anyway, they had this barbecue, uh, and, and I was like this kid running around trying to like get to know the adults because there weren't really any kids there, and I was like trying to like whatever I don't know, and I wanted to I wanted to taste a beer so bad, wanted to I just wanted because all the adults were drinking the beers, so my dad, at one point he went to go get a new one and he opens it up and I was there like oh can I can I can I at least try some like, so he lets me taste some. And it was the nastiest thing I had <laughs> yeah, ever totally put gross. in my mouth. To that right? Point. If you want to teach, <laughs> I think if you want to teach kids not to drink alcohol, just give them some alcohol. Right. Sure. <laughs> yeah. So anyway. Well, in- incredibly sorry for your your ongoing loss, and uh, <sighs> we we got condolences from uh, one of our listeners, Tim. Yeah. Thanks, Tim. Um, that was, was really nice. And. He had a very sweet message for you that I forwarded and, uh, you know, thoughts and prayers. And I'm I'm so happy that, you know, <laughs> people are reaching out and thinking about you and uh, as much as I, we all just care about you. As much as I hate thoughts and prayers about guns, uh, I really appreciate them uh, about this stuff. So thank you. Uh, all right. And uh, I guess we're doing andy's favorite bit that we do on the show rolling two six-sided dice to see this, who this goes first favorite bit. I it's just, andy's I just, favorite bit i like the sound <laughs> of the clatter of the dice so this is for for winner gets first and then second runner-up gets second it, and we'll just go through I think that order. winner gets choice and then winner gets choice do, do you think that All makes right. sense yeah no that makes sense all right That's a, a ten. cool i don't know if you can see that <laughs> Ten's pretty strong. I got a five. Yeah, Pod- yeah I got two fives. podcast listeners, can you see that? <laughs> uh, all right, we can see it. I can confirm. I got a seven. Oh. Cool. All right. Well, so Andy, would you like uh, first, second, or third? Yeah, I'll go first. That's fine. 
Awesome. Nathan, you want second? Sure, I'll go second. I will take uh, second first. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever that means. No, I'll I'll take third. That's fine. There we go. All right. So I'm going to... So my first topic, here we go. My first topic is going to be... I'm just going to open with something really cool and exciting in a gross sort of way, which is that this year is Cicada Palooza. Yeah. Um, And this is something that I'm hoping I can find like a proper expert to come on and and talk to us more about because it's just absolutely fascinating, these these things. So, um, but every 17 years, and I'm going to go ahead and start the timer now. Every, uh, every 17 years, these cicadas emerge from the ground in like in the millions, maybe billions across like the Midwest and, and the South. And I think also some of the, the West coast, but maybe not. Um, and so one of the fascinating things about them is that they, they come out every 17 years, like, like clockwork, um, or, or I guess calendar work, um, which is a fascinating <laughs> biological process that I do not really properly understand. But, um, so they come up every 17 years, they fly around, they get laid, they make this horrible, buzzy, screamy sound. So if you are living in the Midwest or the South and nature is screaming extra loud this year, this is why. Yeah, can we get a clip of that just in, in post? Absolutely. <laughs> I'm speaking for Nathan here, so. Uh, sure. <laughs> but absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, And so there's there's a little bit more to the story here. Um, there's a fungus that affects them, which um, it, if this fungus infects a male cicada, it first of all makes that male makes his genitals or whatever that that part of his body fall off. Yikes! Fun. Yeah, really fun, and it also mind controls the male into doing the the female mating dance so that other males come over and hump it and get the fungus on them. So this is a fascinating little aspect of these buggers. What a terrifying... That's like something out of Aliens. Like, that's... That's maybe the most horrifying thing I've ever heard. (laughs) It is, like... I understand that, like, with when it comes to bugs, like they're 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 so not they're so easy to not anthropomorphize, right? They're so they're very easy to not feel a connection to. I think for a lot of people, right? But if we if if that happened to you, like you inhaled some fungus spores that made your junk fall off and made you go and like I don't know, basically grind on dudes everywhere. It would be a zombie movie. You'd call that... I mean, that's a zombie movie. Do you, do you think that affect the views of anti-vaxxers all over the country? If they could take a vaccine to stop from rubbing their genitals on other dudes. <laughs> no, losing their... Huh, interesting yeah. take. Yeah. That's maybe. Uh, let me... Um, can, I, can I just say a couple of things that I think make this more interesting? First absolutely. of all... Absolutely. 
people don't understand how many. So this this affects about 15 states, and they're going to be with a T trillions, trillions of this these cicadas uh, will be coming out. And the thing is, there are 15 different types of cicadas. So sometimes you'll hear some from years to years, but like not that many. But the thing is, three of them have 13 year cycles. So there's not that many that come out. However, 12 of these broods of these types of cicadas have 17 year cycles. So the 17 year one is insane. <laughs> that's why you get so many numbers yeah. and that's why you see them everywhere. So what I'm hoping is that during this, when this happens, that we get some baseball games. Because in, in 2007, uh, they weren't cicadas, they were midges, which are these like little tiny gnat type bugs that we have in, here in Ohio and like just in the Midwest in general. Uh, but there's. Yeah, and they thrive off of the lake right. that's really close to uh, us. But the other thing that is very close to is <laughs> at the time, Jacob's Field, where the Indians and the mm-hmm. Yankees were playing the game. And basically, the Indians used oh these midges to their uh, benefit. And so the. I, the Yankees lost this game, I believe. I have not looked it up in a while, and I'm not looking up for this. I'll throw in a fact check here. Fact check, fact check, fact check. And welcome back to Fact Check. It was an unseasonably warm night in October of 2007 at 85 degrees. The Yankees were by far the favorites to win the second game of the ALDS, and three of their players made what our entire team was making at the time. The midges came out about halfway through the game, and in another example of local knowledge, Clevelanders know the way to get rid of midges is with vinegar and dryer sheets. The way you don't get rid of it is through bug spray. Bug spray is sticky, and the midges just stick to you. Well, the Yankees sprayed themselves constantly with bug spray, and the midges stuck to their hands, to their faces, to their necks. It was miserable. And last but not least, we have TJ, who is 10 years old from Shaker Heights. Hey, TJ, what's your question? What do you remember about the Bugs game? <laughs> um, that there were a lot of them? Uh, no, I just, I remember trying to pitch and having Bugs everywhere but i think the worst part was when i got in the clubhouse after i was done and they were like in my ears and my eyes and i'm going to include some video in the doobly-doo that you should absolutely watch but final score yankees one indians two thanks midges anyway let's get back to the show back check back check back check it's pretty incredible because the midges were definitely like for Ohioans, like, sure, whatever. Like, we, we get these bugs all the time, and the Yankees were like, didn't know what to do. It was fantastic. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, so something else about these things. Go for it. So I don't, I have not verified this. I don't know if it's true. I believe in my heart of hearts that we could convince our mutual friend Matt to test this theory. But supposedly... If you, like, cook and eat cicadas, they taste like shrimp. Hmm. I am not... I mean, I'll try them. We're not doing the vegan episode anymore, so... 
Right. No, but I don't. I mean, I won't. I'm not. I would never do that. I'm not. A, I won't. You're not works. adventurous. I'm You're not, not an no. adventurous eater. I guess we should probably mention when they're expected to emerge. I know that it's it when the, the soil reaches 65 degrees Fahrenheit. Oh my God. Andy. When the soil Andy, temperature Andy, you need to look that, up so. uh, the United Nations plan for micro farming to uh, solve world, world hunger. Because uh, you're about to have a Is very it bad cicadas? time. Uh, it's just bugs in general. What? The micro farming what? would be farming bugs to be able to fill people's bellies with protein. Oh God, no! Yeah, so we 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 all would have been around seventeen years ago, and I remember seeing them in off years, um, like on trees and oh, stuff. Oh sure, um, I remember living through this. Yeah, I don't distinctly remember the seventeen year one of just like a plague of them, but I I certainly was around. Yeah, it's happened. Yeah, yeah, for sure. At least once for us. That's time. I do just want to say, in terms of the United Nations, I love that they thought of. Eat bugs before go vegetarian. That like vegetarianism <laughs> didn't even like. Well, you need protein, right? But there's a bunch of vegetarian ways, as we learned over a month of veganism, to get protein to get without protein. having to eat meat or bugs, for that matter. Right, but the, that that's protein that would just go to waste. Like if you don't eat the bugs, oh all right, like, they're just freely available. Alrighty, uh, I believe that is to me. Then is that right? Sure. Uh, yeah. Walter Mondale just died and Walter Mondale, I'm going to read a few things about it. I have a few facts here and then we can talk about him afterwards. He was sort of known as this liberal giant of the Democratic Party. So a few things that happened with him. So he joined Jimmy Carter as his running mate in 1976, but not before he fundamentally changed the office of the vice president. So Mondale made a deal with Carter who Carter had brought him on so that he would have uh, his knowledge of how the system worked and brought him on the ticket. Uh, but uh, Mondale required that he would be involved in major meetings. They would have a weekly lunch with Carter to discuss major issues. And arguably, most importantly, at least from a physical standpoint, he moved the office of the vice president into the West Wing because it was totally separate. Joe Biden talked to him when he became Obama's VP to figure out what kind of deal he had made with Carter and what kind of deal he should move forward with uh, with Obama because he was a very active vice president. Al Gore said that you can break down all U.S. vice presidents into two groups before Mondale and after Mondale because, like, for our lifetimes, at least since the Carter administration, we've had active in one way or another vice presidents. He fought for the Civil Rights Act of 1964. He joined as a sponsor of the Fair Housing Act of 1968. Uh, he passed the Wild and Scenic Rivers Act in 68 as well, before Earth Day was a thing or be before any politicians started talking about environmentalism. Uh, well, modern politicians. Mm, agreed to just. Well, agreed I mean, to, come on. This that was like Teddy Roosevelt's big. Like, yeah, yeah, but pet no, project, not, like, not in the context that we're talking about, though. Sure. Okay. Okay. Uh, gotcha. Gotcha. Oh, like like is in like fighting climate change. Right. Thing. In 1984, gotcha. he runs against Ronald Reagan, and one of his choices is for vice president. He picks uh, Geraldine Ferraro, the first female vice president nominee for a major party. Reagan was starting to go through some of his Alzheimer's stuff, his early stuff at this point. There's some famous uh, video that you can watch. I'll put it in the doobly-doo 
of him sort of stumbling over his words at one of the first debates that they had with each other. And Mondale refused to hit him on that. He refused to go after him and call him dumb or that he didn't know what he was talking about or anything like that. Probably part of why he lost. Well, Class act. Well, that's that's a far cry from modern politics. Right. Uh, he also, I want to talk about how he lost. Fair. Mondale lost in 49 states. Reagan beat him in 49 states. So it did not go great for the Mondale campaign. Uh, The last thing I want to talk about real quick is he wrote a book about his time in the White House and his run against Reagan and stuff. But he wrote it 30 years after he was done because he didn't want to hurt anybody's feelings who he may have worked with or against during that time. Like, just like he seemed like a really solid guy from everything I read about him. And well, I think you would say the same thing about Carter, you know, his like as a duo in in the White House, they were two fine, upstanding people. Yeah, absolutely. Who kind of crashed the economy. Mm. I mean, whatever they had. Listen, so actually, let me I want to I want to use this to springboard a little just on a, a, a side note for me, which is I've been doing a fair amount of like reading up on and learning about the Carter administration, I have come to find that. So let me ask you this. Like if you think of deregulation, sure. What president do you generally think of? Reagan. I'm going to say Carter just because (laughs) is, yeah, because of how I've brought this up. Yeah. Yep. What insight? I think you have to roll for insight, but yeah, Carter and Carter's administration is responsible for, like, is the big player in deregulation since the FDR administration kind of adopted the Keynesian model. I mean, I, I we don't have time to go into detail here. Maybe this is a good episode for uh, a good idea for an episode. But anyway, Walter Mondale um, was a big part of that. Well, before we get off of Mondale, um, I did want to point out, um, so he had a big part in the case Gideon versus Wainwright. Um, He was Minnesota Attorney General, and he wrote this friend of the court briefing um, with a bunch of other state attorneys generals that was arguing that defendants had a right to a lawyer, and this landmark Supreme Court case wound up being like an establishment part of our legal system is that if you can't afford a lawyer, one will be provided for you. That's Gideon and Gideon versus Wainwright. So like every constitutional lawyer learns about this and it's this huge landmark case. What was his role in that? So he was the Minnesota attorney general and he organized a bunch of the state attorneys general to write this friend of the court brief. Ah, nice, nice. That was in favor of granting the defendant the power of an attorney. Good job, Walt. Yeah. Cool. Anyway, uh, Walter Mondale. I think that's seven minutes. Walter Mondale. Cool. Well, I'm going to bring down the mood a little bit with a bummer of a topic. Oh, yeah. Um, So things are pretty terrible in India right now with COVID. In fact, India has so many COVID deaths right now that they're doing mass cremations and they have videos of these mass cremations that you can find, like CNN is covering it. 
and other countries are scrambling to try and give India COVID vaccines, they're also experiencing an oxygen shortage and hospitals are turning away patients with no beds available, no available oxygen. If you can just imagine like, you know, you're sick or your family member's sick and you show up at the hospital, it's the fifth one that you've been to today and they, like all the other ones, have to turn you away because they have no beds and no oxygen and no capability of treating you or your sick relative. I mean, it's just like a nightmare scenario. This is people's everyday life in India. India right now, I'll hit you with some numbers. So it's 1.366 billion. It's the second largest population, most populous country in the world. And in some places, it's got as high as 30% infection rate. It's the number one in the world for new cases. They're estimating about 350,000 new cases daily, and those numbers still might be under-reporting because the lack of good data that's available in rural India. But some of the policies that they've been doing is uh, they've been relaxing, like, stay-at-home orders, they've been relaxing masking restrictions because they recently opened up for a lot of religious festivals. They've opened up for a lot of political rallies, one of which the prime minister was at this political rally. And um, oh, yeah, yeah. so, like, you know, not only do they have this social distancing and masking problem, but they're also now out of oxygen. They don't have enough vaccines. It's just really dire over there. And, um, you know, I, I'm sure that a lot of the mainstream media is trumpeting the horn from the top from the highest towers about this story but if there's anybody that you know hasn't heard this story it's you know it's terrible what's going on there and um anything well and if any of our india listeners have a kind of a inside scoop hit us up yeah i mean it's it's uh pretty terrible and uh we're if you're in india right now i'm i'm sorry for the situation that's there i guess absolutely try and try and social distance yourself as best as possible (laughs) right uh, a couple quick thoughts. First, I mean, it took a year and a new government, but you, the USA is finally not number one, which I, as much as I feel bad for India, I, I'm kind of proud of us for starting to turn the corner a little bit. Right. We, we don't have disinformation being trumpeted from uh, the White House. Yeah. Anymore, and and you use nice. the term trumpeted very specifically. Yeah, <laughs> Exactly. No, yeah. but this is no, but this um, is the first thing I thought about. Like, if nothing else, orange man bad. Like, this is the reason. Like, if you don't feel confident about the Democratic Party, you didn't like a Joe Biden as your candidate or whatever. This is why you voted him in because competency. This is literally the only reason why I voted him. <laughs> yes, way to take a story about India and turn it into orange man bad. Congratulations. Joe Biden understands a lot about healthcare and like loss and trauma because he's been through it. If there was one thing that I thought he would actually be able to do competently, it would be help guide us through this traumatic sure. event. And he is doing that and he is also doing all the things that 
I was afraid he would sure, you know, but... bad things I was afraid he'd do. But we're talking about India. And there's one other thing I want to talk about about India here, which is the fact that India, while having this outbreak, India is also the number one producer of vaccine. Really? I didn't know world. that. Yeah, which makes this a little bit more interesting. Um, are they exporting it? They are. They're just they've they've made deals. So when India was doing uh, better, doing relatively well there for a bit, they had a big a big surge when the U.S. was having a surge, but they kind of put it out when we didn't for a little mm. while. But well, um, so at the beginning, really, really quick, in the beginning of March, they were down to ninety one deaths a day. And now yeah. it's at yeah. twenty eight hundred, which for the population that size is fin- it is amazing. Crazy. But and and so at that time, Narendra Modi, I, I don't know if I butchered his name. I hope I didn't do it too bad. Narendra Modi, Narendra Modi, Narendra Modi. He basically made all these deals to export their vaccine, and then simultaneously did not keep doing the things that had got had had gotten the numbers down. So, like, and, you know, relaxing mask mandates and stuff. So, like, now they are scrambling trying to import vaccines from other countries, even though they're producing more than anyone else. It's wild. It's wild. Right. And I know oxygen is a big problem there, too. I don't know. I just, I, like, I, yeah, I, mm, I yes, feel for them yeah. so much. Not, like, for the listeners, not, like, in the atmosphere, but, like, tanks of oxygen for people right. who are having trouble, trouble breathing. So, so the the government has commissioned five hundred new plants to produce oxygen concentrators. That will take some time to change the numbers here and and have an effect. At least they are right. headed in the right direction with oxygen concentrators. But um, I mean, for some people, it's going to be too little, too late, and that's just worth a shame. noting. This is all going on also during a a huge farming crisis in India. Mm. So there's like millions and billions of people who are struggling to eat at the right. same time as all this. Yeah, I feel like we're doing a disservice to both these topics sure. now. We'll, we'll definitely have to do an episode on this. But uh, we are out of time on it for now. Get, get well, India. Uh, keep your chin up, and we we'll hope we hope you get through it. Yeah, we're here for you. So, well, like over here. Yeah, we're we're literally here for you in, in America. Here, we are here in Cleveland for you, India, and but emotionally, you know. yikes. Anyway, <laughs> I just want to really quick bring up the fact that we're all looking at the same Google Doc right now, and Andy, knowing full well that we normally do three topics for. A lightning round episode has what ten <laughs> topics here? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. So he's he's choosing on the fly which ones he wants to and do. And to be fair, I took one out well, because to give yeah, to you. Yeah, because you're just throwing it so on. It was me. twelve. <laughs> yeah, whatever. No, you wanted it. So this time, I think I'm gonna go ahead and and crack a big topic that. Let's. I'm going to go with the Chauvin murder trial. So Derek Chauvin, the murderer of George Floyd, was convicted on all three counts. Um, I think there was a murder, a homicide, and something else. Manslaughter. Manslaughter. We, the jury, in the above-entitled matter as to count one, unintentional second-degree murder while committing a felony, find the defendant guilty. 
This verdict agreed to this 20th day of April, 2021 at 1.44 p.m. Signed, juror four person, juror number 19. Same caption, verdict count two. We the jury in the above entitled matter as to count two, third degree murder, perpetrating an eminently dangerous act, find the defendant guilty. This verdict agreed to this 20th day of April, 2021 at 1.45 p.m. Signed by jury four person, juror number 19. Same caption, verdict count three. We the jury in the above entitled matter as to count three, second degree manslaughter, culpable negligence, creating an unreasonable risk, find the defendant guilty. This verdict agreed to this 20th day of April, 2021 at 1.45 p.m. Jury four person, zero one nine. But anyway, he got he he got convicted of all three counts. I don't think he has he been sentenced yet. Nope, sentencing comes later. Hasn't been, okay, hasn't been sentenced yet um, as of this recording anyway. So a few things that stand out to me, and then I'll let you guys jump in. So first of all, I'm very much struck by the fact that first of all, we all as a country as the the world watched that video for a year leading up to the trial. Right. The trial itself took two weeks, even though everyone watched that nine minutes and 47 seconds, I think, of... 29 seconds. 29 seconds of Derek Chauvin murdering George Floyd in broad daylight. I hadn't figured it out because before it was eight minutes and 46 seconds, and during the trial, they expanded that to nine minutes and 29 seconds, and I don't know what the difference in time... I it was nine minutes and something the whole time. I don't know. Um, I don't know. So... So that sounds like a fact check. Fact check. Fact check. Fact check. And welcome back to Fact Check. There's actually a couple of time changes to mention here. First of all, it turns out 8 minutes and 46 seconds was just never a thing. Due to a mistake by the Hennepin County Attorney's Office, we were all off by a minute. The original complaint, based on the heroic video taken by Darnella Fraser, read that Chauvin, quote, pulled Mr. Floyd out of the passenger side of the squad car at 8, 1938 p.m., and Mr. Floyd went to the ground face down and still handcuffed. The defendant placed his left knee in the area of Mr. Floyd's head and neck. Later on, the same complaint reads, at 8, 27, 24, the defendant removed his knee from Mr. Floyd's neck. 8, 19, 38, to 8.27.24 is 7 minutes and 46 seconds, not 8 minutes and 46 seconds. But where 9 minutes and 29 seconds came in is the full video obtained from the body cams of Chauvin and the other murderers, I'm, I'm sorry, officers at the scene. 9 minutes and 29 seconds is the correct amount of time that Derek Chauvin lynched George Floyd for. I'll include additional information in the doobly-doo. Anyway, let's get back to the show. Back check, With all of that, right, we all watched this shit. We sure. all knew he had done it. And even so, we were all holding our breath to see how the jury would figure out a way to let him off the hook. Absolutely, I, I think yes. Most of us, uh, certainly on this podcast, but I think most of America was pretty much expecting him to be more or less slapped on the wrist and pushed out the door. The prosecution did a near-perfect job, mm. and the defense, I mean, and like in his defense, there's no good defense. They had a terrible job of it, 
And I remember thinking, like, this trial went as well as it possibly could have to, like, give justice to George Floyd. And it's maybe 50-50. Yeah. Well, the most the most generous case that you could possibly give to the defense is that um, he he had drugs in his system. He had an enlarged heart. I'm not saying that these things are true. I'm just saying right. giving them the most generous case that you can. He had an enlarged heart. He already had, you know, breathing, chronic respiratory problems. He had breathing problems, heart problems. He had drugs in his system. And that he happened to overdose just at the exact time that an yeah. officer was kneeling on him for eight and a half minutes while a bunch of people filmed it and he expired. Like, that's asking a lot of coincidence to have occurred. One thing to keep in mind here is what they weren't trying to say that, like, oh, he coincidentally died of an overdose. Their argument, I think, is that he would not have died from the chokehold, quote-unquote, had he not had drugs in his system. It's a losing case. I mean, that's that's a terrible case to have to it make. Is. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. All that the defense had to do is convince one jury member that there was reasonable doubt. Exactly. And right. they managed to not... Well, the other way around, the, the prosecution managed to convince all the whole jury beyond a reasonable doubt that Derek Chauvin... Murder, murdered him. So yeah, that's our that's our standard for criminal law. Like that's that's very normal. Since yeah. since I love to be masochistic about this stuff, I of course <laughs> watched a ton of the trial. I watched virtually all of the um, closing arguments, and I what I didn't understand is seemed like the defense's strategy for closing arguments was to show their client from several different angles over and over and over again lynching George Floyd over and over and over again. It was so hard to watch. It was, it was, it was awful. I didn't catch that part. Uh, no, good, good. That's, I hope it would have been nice if nobody had to catch it. But the thing is, it was like the defense was doing the prosecution's job for them in, in hopes that this little thin line of reasonable doubt would get through to one person. And it's, it didn't. It was It was never going to... Like, Well, I shouldn't say that. It was going to work for anybody who wasn't there in good faith to actually carry out the law, which is what happens virtually every time. I do want to bring up one controversial part about this case was that they made the decision to not sequester the jury, and I'm not really sure why, because I think it's an excellent idea yeah. basically all the time to sequester a jury. Um, we had... There was a congresswoman who was making uh, statements that could have been, I guess, interpreted as a threat, um, and this was brought up by the defense. The The judge said that they might have, quote, have something on appeal based on, uh, and I'm, I'm sorry that I forget her name, but um, the, the congresswoman's statements that, um, you know, that if a guilty verdict... Maxine was, Waters? Maxine Waters, thank you. That if a guilty verdict was not um, come upon, that uh, the, the oh, rioters uh, need to get more aggressive and more confrontational. Congresswoman, what happens if we do not go get what you just told? What should the people do? What should protesters on the street do? I didn't hear you. What happens? What should protesters do? 
Well, we, we got to stay on the street, uh, and we've got to get more active. We've got to get more confrontational. We've got to make sure that they they know that we mean business. Yeah, she used the word confrontational, which is just another bullshit thing from the right, where they pretend like she means something that she doesn't. It's it's all horseshit. Right, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Keeping in mind that it was Marjorie Taylor Greene who who is all up in arms about that, I'm just going to ignore it. Mini fact check. Hey there, I wanted to include the original audio in the episode, but Marjorie Taylor Greene recorded it on the steps of the Capitol because she thought it would make a good backdrop. The problem is... It was incredibly windy that day, and it's very hard to make out what she said. I am going to include the original video in the doobly-doo, but here's a transcript of what she said. I'm headed in to file the resolution to expel Maxine Waters. She flew to Minnesota, crossed state lines, encouraged riots causing the Minnesota National Guard to be fired upon. Thank God no one died. She also tried to threaten the jury, saying that people should stay in the streets and get more confrontational. What's more confrontational than the riots the American people have endured over the past year? It's time to expel Maxine Waters. And then she turned around and walked triumphantly up the stairs. Uh, it's quite a bit of bullshit to cram into such a short video. It's 38 seconds long, including her walk up the steps. Uh, anyway... Um, there's the modern Republican Party for you, I guess. Mini fact check. During the course of that trial, over 60 more people were murdered by police. Yikes. In the two weeks of that trial. And also, so new Attorney General Merrick Garland has announced a, a, uh, a pattern of practice investigation into Minneapolis police. This is something we'll have to talk about later because we're out of time on this topic. Last, but. last thing, he was only he was the only the second police officer in Minneapolis history to be convicted for killing someone while on duty. Second, right. So anyway, real bad. So I guess I'm next. Let's go ahead. We'll we'll go ahead and jump on the one that Andy wanted me to do. That he threw off his giant list of stuff. Let's talk about Amazon. So... Cha-ching, baby. That sounds amazon. <laughs> amazon. <laughs> so, <laughs> we're talking about Alabama. Alabama! Workers in Alabama... Bessemer. Yeah, workers in Alabama attempted to... Well, they succeeded in having a vote uh, to unionize. Uh, they succeeded in having the vote. Uh, the vote did not pass... But Amazon was watching this very, very, very closely and uh, pulled some interesting things. I guess they're standard if you want to do union busting. Yeah, I mean, and well, yeah, they are standard union busting so, moves. So here's the thing. They had uh, mandatory meetings that they need to come, uh, come to where workers would be talked to by management and actively lied to about what the effects of unionizing would do. Um, they would uh, text workers several times a day to urge them to vote no, like to their personal cell phones, which they need to use as part of their jobs at Amazon. 
Amazon's real bad. But they would uh, text them multiple times a day saying, uh, vote against uh, unionizing because this, this. In what I think was a very ineffective strategy, they papered anti-union flyers in the bathroom stalls. But considering they never let their workers go to the bathroom, why even bother? Right. They outfitted temp workers. So temp workers are not eligible to join the union. And I'm, you know, I guess that makes sense. But what they did was uh, they gave them all out mandatory vote no swag. So these temp workers who were still in the building with them, with all the other workers, had to wear this like no to unions swag on them. Uh, It was real bad. They did a bunch of different stuff. And then, shockingly, the company worth billions upon billions upon billions of dollars uh, was able to buy their way into a no vote. So, I well, mean, you say that, but it was a it was a resounding no vote. Like it was not like oh they they got they got enough over the threshold to to stave off unions. That like it was over. Well, I think it. I'm, I, so Amazon has to be really careful here because. There are laws about what you can and can't do to uh, union bust. It is a right that you that workers have to collectively bargain. It is a right to form unions. And in all of their propaganda, they have to be very careful. And they won't outright say, like, we're anti-union they will say, well, you know, we can we need to consider the options because, you know, there there are options here that some of them are better than than unionizing or it restricts the freedom of the employer to offer the kind of benefits that and wages that the employees right. want. Um but but there are laws that govern the way that they make these communications. So I would be interested to see if they if they are fully complying with uh, the anti-union kind of laws, like the union-busting laws. So here we go. So of the 3,215 ballots cast, there were 1,798 votes against and 738 for. More than two to one. Right. No, I... I, I mean, that's not, that's not just... Oh, they they tricked enough people into thinking it was bad for them. I think they that that's, is exactly what that that's, is. They like people thought that they would not be able to continue with their jobs, keep their jobs, or that these people were trying to steal from them. They were they were lied to constantly by their employers and not didn't have a choice in whether they lied to or not. They had mandatory meetings. They were texted on their private cell phones. It's bad. I understand, but also, here's the thing, and, and for the same reason why I don't really give much, like, credence to the complaints about, oh, Russian, Russia sent out, de- you know, negative memes about Hillary Clinton in 2016, I don't, you, you have the internet, you have information, there's, information is, is very available. Those- those memes are what I don't, cost Hillary the election. We know that for a fact. Yeah, I mean, if you're no. underestimating here the the power of propaganda, like propaganda my, is is pretty powerful. My point is, you have access to all the info. Like, you can easily verify or not, or, or or you know, you can confirm or debunk any mis- any information that's given to you. I my thing is, if you are if you are tricked by some by a propaganda. 
that is laziness on your part. You did not do your, like <laughs> you should have known better. I don't have a lot of sympathy for that. I don't. Ooh, hot take. You know how we like now have our hot take sound effect. I need like yeah. I need like a shit take sound effect for that. It's awful. <laughs> no, it, like it's, rough. I mean, I guess you can like say like dumb people deserve to be tricked. But also, I choose to hold out my anger for the people who are trying to trick them. Uh, nah, I, I have, I, I certainly have plenty of ill will towards the trickers. But if you are just swallowing whatever pills handed to you, then you're going to, whatever trip you're about to go on is of your own doing. Right. Was- See, I, I I agree that that works on the individual level. I don't think that that works when you start talking about groups of people. I think when you start talking about like collective classes of people like Amazon workers or Republicans. In general, like I I think that you're you're massively underestimating what propaganda can do. And again, I- we we know full well the margin was so narrow. We know full well that propaganda from Russia in the 2016 election was one of the many things that was the difference between a win and a loss for the Clinton campaign. I mean, I saw those memes. Those memes were great. They were excellent memes. We're out of time on this. All right. Well, Nathan wins. Yay, Nathan. (laughs) Such an ass. (laughs) I figured, like, we, we have a little timer that we're watching on our shared Zoom screen, and I figure if I can be the last one to make noise... During a given topic, that's that's a win for Nathan. <laughs> okay. Uh, I, I guess the, the audience can decide who won that one. Nathan! Alright, so my turn. Um, so, as I kind of touched on earlier in our predictions for 2021 episode, China has further adventured into Taiwanese airspace. And two weeks ago... The most warplanes that they've ever sent, they sent in uh, 25 over in one day. They flew into Taiwanese airspace, which is something that every time that they do, Taiwanese defense has to scramble a bunch of fighter planes up to meet them and make sure that they don't stay there. This is like a concerted strategy that they have been draining Taiwan for a long time out of money. So last year in October, the Taiwanese defense minister, Yen Difa, said that the country had spent $900 million scrambling air defenses in 2020 so far. And that's a number that they will easily surpass in 2021. It's also this rhetoric battle. So the U.S. Secretary of State Blinken said that the U.S. is committed to ensuring the democratically elected sovereign state of Taiwan, quote, has the ability to defend itself. There's a a game that the U.S. plays with how strongly in their rhetoric they will say, like, we will defend Taiwan because they they don't necessarily want to commit armed forces to the defense of Taiwan but you know China is kind of seeing how much they can get away with and for how long because China still considers Taiwan to be a 
a province of China. It, they consider it to be part of their sovereign territory, even though Taiwan has been an independent democracy for years, for decades. So in response to this statement by U.S. Secretary of State Blinken, uh, Xi Jinping has warned the U.S. not to play with fire. So there's this ramping up of escalating a game of chicken, really. Like, who who will back off first over Taiwan? And, you know, I predicted earlier this year that we would see a full-blown invasion. I still hope that that doesn't happen. But it's getting real over <laughs> over in the South China Sea, so... China's been getting pushy for a while now. Right. Not just in Taiwan, but in other, like, the the South Pacific in general. Right. And we can talk about, like, denying the uh, genocide of Uyghur Muslims. Uh, we can talk about, like, you know, the border skirmishes with India. Genocide um, and, and mass steril forced sterilization and, yeah. like, just absolutely disgusting treatment. China China's been ramping up all these things, but, I mean, it, uh, it was not be... Hong Kong incidents? Sure, I mean, there's the, everything that's gone on in Hong Kong is just Well, and the thing that I want to bring up real quick is, like, I think it's so interesting that your prediction is coming true, because I believe in that episode, that was the only actual prediction you made. Everything else was stuff that was, like, already <laughs> settled, and then you made this, right. like, wild, out-of-nowhere prediction that now seems to be coming true. Well, we'll see. We'll see if this year is when they when they actually make a land invasion because that's that's what i had predicted right so there there is a uh a date coming up and i'm i'm sorry that i don't know it off the top of my head but there there's like an anniversary of the chinese communist party's regime and they they have a plan to have like a unified china by a certain date and I believe that that is during this year. It's it's called like the One China Plan. And um, but the other point that I wanted to make is that um, no, it's not good for any of the world powers to have an all-out war. So we'll see this escalating, escalating, escalating. Nobody really wants to fight over this. But I think that the brunt of it is going to be borne by Taiwan, and then U.S the U.S. will just have to decide, like, what are they going to do about that, you know? And it, the answer might be nothing. Well, I was just going to say, I think actual war is bad for a bunch of different reasons, but tension, it tends to be pretty great, at least from a economic standpoint. For, for the aggressor? So, yeah. like, this isn't accidental. They're, like, they're, sure. they're flexing. They're seeing how far they can push it before right. and, there's no and, more room. Like, we, we want to encourage democracies, and, you know, it would be terrible for Taiwan to get invaded. Which China is very much right, not. Right, I mean, we want to encourage uh, free thought and democracy in the world, but there's a question of, like, you know, what is the strategical advantage of coming to the defense of Taiwan? Like, it's going to be a really tough question. Like, culturally, we would much rather Taiwan stay a free democracy. But what are you willing to commit to defend that? That's a, an open question. So, a thought here. You're talking about democracy. And um, I would say that 
democracy in this case is the nickname which has been assigned to distract from the fact that this is really just about economics and world trade. Sure. Um, and who's going to play with the IMF and the World Bank and those the the world trade system nicely, which China will not, Russia will not, like and we're we're engaged in and 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 have been for for decades and will be for decades in all sorts of regime changes and stuff in other countries who don't play nice with with those the 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 world trade system right and the the, trade syndicate and the thing we need to bring up here just because it's so closely related and andy just mentioned russia is they had just assembled an insane number of troops russia just assembled an insane number of troops on the ukraine border and then pulled Mm -hmm. them away because they're doing the same sort of flexing exercise to see how like how biden is going to react well, and and listen, uh, with only thirty seconds left, I got to be quick on this. But anyone who knows much about history, specifically the nineteen thirties, should be very, very concerned because this is exactly how Hitler started ramping up towards World War Two. Is a little bit at a time, little step a toe over this line, and we just what was the the term? Winston Churchill appeasement. appeasement thank you. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, there. There, we all know people that from Taiwan. Damn, you want to finish that sentence? Sure. We all know people from Taiwan. Nice. Um, there's going to be a there's going to be a real human cost. Like people have relatives that still live there. Like there's a culture that's there. Right. All of that is going to be like trampled. Right. And just because I don't know people there doesn't mean it's not awful if it happens. So, uh, time. Alrighty, my next topic tonight is going to be the UN has elected to the Commission on Women's Rights, Iran. (laughs) Maybe as an audience you're not super familiar with the country of Iran and their history with women's rights. But let me just sum it up to say that it's not great. Um, Iran is a deeply Islamic country, Muslim country, which is a deeply misogynistic religion. And so they have histories of, like, women not being allowed to drive cars or be educated in their laws of the country. This country is now on the UN Commission on Women's Rights. If you want a quick overview, the film Persepolis is like a, an insider perspective. It's an animation. It's on the female perspective growing up in Iran. It's excellent. I don't mm. want to spend too much time on it, but... Um, check it out. Well, and a lot of this came about because of the Islamic revolution in 79. Like there are wild pictures that you can see before the revolution of Iranian women dressed up in like, like what you consider like contemporary United States fashions and in mm-hmm. skirts and you can see their hair and modern like 70s clothes. Yeah. Yeah. Dre- dressing <laughs> like they're headed out to the disco. And things change radically after 79. Yeah. I'm not pretending like I, I know a ton well, about I, it. You know who might know a ton about it is Hillel Neuer. 
He is the executive director of UN Watch, which is a human rights group based in Geneva. Quote, electing the Islamic Republic of Iran to protect women's rights is like making an arsonist into the town fire chief. It, it's absurd and morally reprehensible. This is a black day for women's rights and for all human rights. Could you justify it by saying, like, we want them on this council so that they can improve internally, like, what they're, what they're doing? You're on this council, but we do not grant you the rank of master. Is there no weight to that at all? Like, this is just clearly, like, a reprehensible move to have elected them to this council. Like, I'm just, I'm wondering if they were trying to bring them to the table, so to speak, on women's rights. But it seems like, no, that that's, that's putting them in a position of power that they never should have. Sure. <laughs> it's like electing Republicans. It's the Republicans, dagnabbit. There he is. Like, I just wanted to give Andy a reason so that we can use that sound effect. I can't find any explanation. In fact, that same guy, Neuer, I'm just going to read all of this. Iran's persecution of women is gross and systematic, both in law and in practice. The UN's own Secretary General has reported on Iran's persistent discrimination against women and girls, said Neuer. Iran's fundamentalist mullahs force women to cover their hair, with many arrested and attacked daily under the misogynistic hijab law. They require women to receive permission from her father to get married. The legal age for a girl to marry in Iran is 13, even with even younger girls allowed to marry with paternal and judicial consent. Ayatollah Khamenei's regime, I cannot pronounce that, but... Khomeini. Ayatollah Ruhollah Khomeini. Um, regime imprisons courageous women's rights activists such as Nazrin Sotuda. Nazrin Sotuda. Uh, and some other names that I can't pronounce. For the crime of peacefully demanding their human dignity. Why then did the UN name one of the world's worst oppressors of women as a world judge and guardian of gender equality and the empowerment of women? asks Neuer. I remember it was a big deal a few years ago when women finally earned the right to drive in Iran. Like, they weren't allowed to drive before yeah. that. Yeah, that was not that long ago. And I, and I still think that, like, in order to drive, you need, like, your father's permission. Mini fact check. In Iran, women do not seem to be restricted legally from where or when they are allowed to drive. That does not mean, however, they are not restricted socially. There are even female taxi drivers that only drive female passengers around. However, women's cars are often pulled over for, quote, improperly wearing the hijab, which means any hair is showing whatsoever. The problem is the standards for what properly wearing a hijab means, and if those women are pulled over legally or not. When these women are pulled over, their cars are impounded and sometimes even taken from them completely. It's not a good situation. Mini fact check. So, uh, according to the UN, Iran will play an instrumental role in promoting women's rights, documenting the reality of women's lives throughout the world, and shaping global standards on gender equality and the empowerment of women. I call bull... Yeah, it sounds terrible. 
<laughs> it guarantees someone's making money off of this. This has this reeks of just backroom po- political deals, money changing hands. We'll see. I mean, I can't find reason right now either. But I don't think anybody that isn't in Iranian like politics leadership thinks this was a good idea. My question is: Is there a way to unf the UN? Like, there's no organization that I think has a bigger potential for, like, world good that seems to make terrible choices about how it enforces yeah. things over and over and over again. Well, I wonder I wonder who voted for this. Like, who, who was in favor of this? Yeah, I'm not sure, but... Um, I don't um, have an answer for no, that. No, I, right I, I don't... But. E, uh, next is uh, Commission on the Status of Women. The results of the secret ballot for the Asia-Pacific states are as follows. Number of ballots, 53. Number of invalid ballots, 0. Number of valid ballots, 53. Abstentions, 0. Members present and voting, 53. Majority required, 27. The results of the vote are as follows. Japan. Number of votes, 52. Lebanon, number of votes, 51. Pakistan, number of votes, 50. China, number of votes, 48. Iran, number of votes, 43. Having obtained the necessary majority, I declare elected Japan, Lebanon, Pakistan, China, Iran, to the Commission on the Status of Women for a four-year term beginning at the first meeting of the Commission's 67th session in 2022 and expiring at the close of the Commission's 70th session on 2026. But I, I mean, I, I agree, Nathan. I think that the UN could be such an organizing force for good and is instead a joke. So anyway, that's time on me. Who's next? Yeah, I think for for us recording right now, it's starting to get a little bit late. So I think this is going to be the last one that I do for this episode. And I think just to be like on brand as much as possible, let's go ahead and talk about how irreparably the Republican Party is, shall we? It's the Republicans, dagnabbit. Uh, okay, fine. Excellent. Sure, let's do it. It's a pretty big topic, but let's move quickly, I guess. I don't think you're going to be able to convince me, you know, but... <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm sure we'll find a way to fill seven minutes. But I want to talk about a few things that they've done very recently uh, that makes me think, ooh, they are, like, even worse than I thought, which is, like, how is that even possible? Uh, well, there's... Matt Gates. No? There, <laughs> we did talk about how... Uh, people have been using the term Pizza Gates to refer to his whole situation. I thought it was Gatesgate. I thought we all agreed on Gatesgate. I like Pizza Gate so much better because it takes the fake pedophilia thing they were trying to do against Democrats and replaces it with like the actual pedophilia thing that he was doing. Sure. But let's go ahead and talk about Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gates was very excited to join it. Uh, wanted to start and. Anglo-Saxon wing of the Republican Party. So white white nationalism, right? Just like straight up white nationalism. Yeah, like just just saying, like yeah, like they want to get back to the Anglo-Saxon roots of the party, which yeah. I mean I don't think anybody thinks is not. You'll true. have 
you'll have on one side you'll have the west wing and on the other side it'll be the wasp wing got him nah bazinga uh but the thing is some people pointed out like hey this might seem overtly racist and so she pulled it sort of like 24 hours later or so but not before a bunch of republicans were like hell yeah let's do it that's true all right, so next up, uh, let's go ahead and talk about how Republicans from not one but two states have introduced and passed bills legalizing manslaughter. Specifically, so they've made it legal so that motorists can run into protesters if they get in their way on uh, the streets and won't face any consequences. So if I can say, like, a, a, a single word, a, a little tidbit of defense in, in that, like, if you are sure. cornered, if you are in your car and just happen to be in your car and, and you are cornered and people are throwing bricks or, you know, there's, there's rioting in the street and you, like, literally sure. cannot escape, I think that you have a good case for self-defense there that's not really what this law is about <laughs> <laughs> yeah the, the good news is self-defense laws already on the books you're you're already covered and that situation as far as i know has never actually come up in fact at this point i think the protesters get a dose of self-defense if they are being attacked by a person in a vehicle for peacefully protesting and assembling, which is a constitutionally protected right. Right. So there's there's really absolutely no there's no defense of this. Right. And it seems especially cruel given the death of Heather Heyer last year in Charlottesville. Right. And this is a local ago. law, right? I mean, it's wait, was that last no, year? That, that was, two that years was ago now? 2017, wasn't it? And, and this law's in Wisconsin, right? Uh, Wisconsin and Iowa, I believe. Iowa, sorry. Oh, no, sorry. <laughs> Wisconsin and Iowa and Oklahoma. I apologize. Oh, okay, so three, three states, wow. So they're just, like, Republicans on board with just murder now, and that's great. And against protesting, which is, like, right there in the First Amendment. I'm sorry, now? Oh, uh, just outright murder. Like, hasn't hasn't been a core part of their platform, like standard gun laws and all that nonsense? Well, stand, like, standard ground know. laws. Standard gun is like, right. is that like where you're just trying to balance it? <laughs> stand it up the, in the corner over there. <laughs> yeah, standard ground laws. Well, so I would, ad I would advise anyone protesting in those states to, in the meantime, let's let's try and stay out of the streets, which is terrible. There's, there's no way that that's the way that the law should be working, but... Also, you might die. Yeah, so. it'll get overturned yeah. for sure because it's super illegal. But in the meantime, just grab a skateboard and do a Marty McFly and just grab on the back. Well, of it's not the only like pretty blatantly unconstitutional law that Republican legislat state legislatures are passing. Um, there's all of the voter suppression stuff that they're passing as sure. well, like Georgia. So let me get to the last example I wanted, and then we'll use the last minute or so to like Republicans want. Anyway, they're also against D.C. statehood. I'm not necessarily, like, I'm fully on board with D.C. statehood. I think it's both strategically good for the left, but also just the right thing to do. So, like, from, from my perspective, there's no downside to it. But Republicans have made a bunch of arguments, including D.C. doesn't have enough people, although there are two other states that have less people than D.C., and I'm guessing that those are red states? Yes. Liz Cheney, actually, is in one of those states and was standing on the stage 
while another Republican made that argument, like trying not to make eye contact with the camera. Mini fact check. Yes, Wyoming with 585,501 people, although there may have been some deaths or some births since they came up with that number, is the smallest U.S. state. The second Republican state that I was referring to is, of course, Vermont, represented by that famous Republican Bernie Sanders. Anyway, they're at 624,594 people. So, no, not not both red states, Nathan. You are very wrong there. Mini fact check. D.C. has the wrong kind of Americans in terms of, like, uh, Republicans have argued that uh, they're not, like, hardworking Americans. So, like, some Americans are better than others. D.C. is corrupt and mismanaged. Seems to be... Hold on. Who's made that argument? So, uh, Tom Cotton, quote, Washington also doesn't have the diversity of interest and financial independence that Madison explained were necessary for a well-functioning state. Yes, Wyoming is smaller than Washington by population, but it has three times as many workers in mining, logging, and construction, and ten times as many workers in manufacturing. In other words, Wyoming is a well-rounded, working-class state. A new state of Washington would not be. Well, so let's go ahead and say it that uh, D.C. has a huge black population. The original fight over statehood did have to do with, like, you know, decentralizing the local power so you don't have, like, a mayor that takes over the capital or anything. But it was also more so about the large black population that was in Washington, D.C. and not really wanting to give them statehood okay last real quick it says they say dc is corrupt and mismanaged they seem to be referring to marion barry they say the framers didn't want dc to be a state which is bullshit and they say that dc statehood is just a democratic power grab but uh go ahead and look at north and south dakota republicans and quit your bullshit well uh, not to mention i mean it's very clear that their only argument against dc statehood is a republican power grab so like (laughs) Right. Want here? You're both just trying to gain power and hold on to it. We all know the game here. That is time. So, anyway, I don't like Republicans. <laughs> what you? I just explained how they're like voting in favor of murder, <laughs> and like, how is that not the end of the goddamn party? I don't, uh, whatever. My time is up. I can't. I right. can't. I can't. You're way out of line. I'm gonna have to give you a technical foul. Pat, I think this is gonna be our last one. So pick a good one. Okay. Well, so I have a pretty good one. So after three weeks, uh, Alexei Navalny has ended his hunger strike, citing that his demands for medical treatment in prison had at least been partially met. He had been on this hunger strike until he could see a doctor in prison for uh, his pain in his legs and his back. This is the same guy that had been, you know, poisoned by the Russian government and then was being moved around prisons to obscure, you know, there was all these these protests outside of his prison wherever he was. So um, they started moving him around in order to hide him. Right. And around the country. His supporters. And the important news story is that not only has he ended this hunger strike that ended just three days ago, but today they've started moving to classify 
Navalny's anti-corruption and smart voting organization as an extremist group. And what that would allow them to do is basically the same laws that they could do with anti-terrorism against, like, ISIS or Al-Qaeda. Um, they will be able to use these same Russian laws to persecute their political opponents. A quick word on what the smart voting is. Alexei Navalny's big ingenuity in Russian politics was to unite the opposition to all stand behind the most likely Kremlin opposition candidate that was the most likely to gain traction and to win, and to unify so he would funnel everybody who was voting in any way against the Kremlin to get them all to vote for the same candidate. And this has been like a somewhat effective strategy. The elections are still corrupt, and uh, only recently they released, like, there's footage of uh, Russian officials stuffing ballots and then, like, having discussions afterwards about, like, the margins that they're going to win by, like, uh, discussing, you know, we're, we're hitting 8 or 9%, but really we, we want to be hitting 10 or 12% margins, because if not, then, you know, the, the local governor will be very unhappy, will be sad. This is all on tape, and it was recently released by somebody in Navalny's organization, that guy got arrested today. In anticipation of this crackdown, a lot of his staff had already moved abroad, moved out of Russia for their own protection. But anybody who's in the offices that have remained in Russia have basically been shut down. They've been ordered to cease operations, and now they're just rounding them up wholesale and arresting them. Uh, you know, this is where a lot of the countrywide protesting has been happening over Alexei Navalny's arrest. And there's also been a lot of talk abroad. Putin has been very specific about other countries, like, not intervening in this. And yet a lot of other countries have been, like, you know, warning that if Alexei Navalny should die in prison, that Russia would face, quote, consequences. I don't know how much you can really scare Vladimir Putin, because I don't, I don't think he really responds well to that. But um, one thing that, you know, I, I sincerely believe that the Russian people want to have legitimate... Are you just monologuing for seven minutes? or? Yeah, well, so do you guys want to hop in? <laughs> I mean... Well, I, I want you to wrap up for sure that that thought. Well, <laughs> like I just looked up and noticed that already four of the seven minutes were gone. Well, sorry, I'm I'm <laughs> pumped up about this. So no, I mean I, bu- no, I believe good, that uh, you know people. It's a big deal. People want to have legitimate elections that they don't they don't want to have like sham elections that are fixed. Democrats. That's all I got. Um, but anyway, I like I think Putin right. isn't scared of tariffs because. He's pretty sure they're already going to happen. It was the same thing with the him surrounding the Ukraine. Is that he just he just assumes there are going to be tariffs. So like, yeah, the sanctions are not going to be effective an effective threat against him, and like a military threat is not going to be an effective threat against him. Uh, and I don't know what would be like honestly, like what like what would affect him? Well, in theory, like a domestic a domestic overthrow would would right. affect him. Hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, pretty much only a coup is going to remove Putin from power in the next two decades. Or he might, like, die, but we won't know about that until several years after the fact anyway. No, um, just be a Putin puppet, like a literal puppet, like yes. a sock puppet. That's because he'd rather have a puppet as president of no the United puppet, States. No puppet. And it's pretty clear. You're the puppet. It's- and all of Russia will be like, yes, Vladimir, we understand your orders. Thank you, sir. Well, so Putin had um, like a lot of popularity like as a candidate, like even legitimately because he brought a lot of rural Russia mm-hmm. out of poverty after the collapse of the Soviet Union. Yeah. That was 30 years ago, and he's losing that clout, right? that popularity. But, one, I mean, the thing about Putin, and as much as I absolutely despise Hillary Clinton, one thing she 100% was spot on about is he is a thug. He is, he reminds me of, like, those, like, Don Falcone in Gotham or like, you know, those big mob bosses who they do whatever they want. Everyone knows that they're doing it, but no one's allowed to, no one's able to ever prove it. And they go around winking and nodding and being like, yeah, you cross me, you'll be next. But (laughs) haha, just kidding. But haha, not really. And like, it's, um, it's infuriating because he, he like mocks every, or, or he 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 dangles it he flaunts it he he wants everyone to know but no one to be able to do anything about it and going back to our previous note about the UN who's really the body that should be doing something about it Time. they are left relatively flat I just hope Gorbachev makes a comeback You know what else I hope makes a comeback hmm. Precious moments Precious moments Nice. Thank you. Thank you so much. Mm. Cool. Who's who's up to bat? I have a really quick one. <laughs> it is go for it. It is somewhat related to. Uh, is it is it that you hate Republicans? Well, not just me. And this one is about a specific Republican. So it's the Republicans, dag nabbit. Here's what I want to talk about real quick. John Boehner's new book. It's a barn burner. Uh, everyone's going to love it. I think you pronounced his name wrong, though. It's definitely Boner. Ah, bazinga. John Boehner's new book is called On the House, a Washington Memoir. And what I'm going to do is, uh, <laughs> because he's already put it out there for the public to hear, I'm going to play you all a 30-second uh, clip of his book, and uh, we'll talk about it on the other side. Freedom means you can be a genius and invent new products that make you millions of dollars and helps millions of people. It means you're free to work your way to becoming the first in your family to go to college. It means you're free to reach as high as you want, no matter where you came from, even if you're a little kid sweeping a bar out in southwest Ohio. Take it from me. You'll never know where you'll end up. That's freedom. I'll raise a glass to that any day. P.S. Ted Cruz. Go f*** yourself. Well, that that was magical. What part am I exactly supposed to disagree with? Because, uh, <laughs> I mean, that sounds pretty based. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I think uh, Boehner did not have a great time as speaker. But I do, I do love that hot take. Most of that book is him trying to, like, pretend like he's not a huge part of why 
the Republican Party is as bad as it is. I literally heard him on, I forget which talk show, talk about how, like, when the sheep were running away from the shepherd, I had to run out in front of them so that I could lead them. Like, no, dog, that's not leadership. That's the opposite of leadership. You don't let your sheep lead you. Boehner was a terrible speaker, but he was a terrible speaker on a Republican Party that was easier to corral. Hmm. Anyway, he f***ing hates Ted Cruz, and I love it. So that that he and I can always agree on. Yeah, I mean, I'll drink to that. Uh, <laughs> you and most of America. I got one. Josh Fest, <laughs> whatever. So started, I think, a year ago where someone named Josh sent, like, a message to everyone else that he could find. Now, I believe, if I rem- yes, I believe if I remember this correctly... It started out with him only messaging people that shared his same last name. I forget what it is now, but let's say it was Josh Smith. All mm. the Josh Smiths he could find, he sent them a message saying, basically, like, mm-hmm. I'll bet you wonder why I called you here today. <laughs> <laughs> because we all have the same name, replies one of the Joshes. And and the, the main Josh says, yeah, and throws out a time, a date, and a location and says, we're going to battle it out, and the winner gets to keep the name. <laughs> Not even a specific location, or I guess a location, but it was literally latitude and longitude. It wasn't an address or anything like that. Right, right. To a field. Yeah, it was just coordinates. <laughs> an empty field. I right, love so it. So what, what happens? Then Then on that day, they all met up, and... Air Park. Tons and tons of people named Josh all show up. And with, like, pool noodle swords, like, makeup on some, and, like, there's a, there's a few pictures. There's a, a picture of a, a big fella who is, <laughs> an, who is Big Josh and the St. Louis logo written on him. And, and you'll notice, Nathan, you mentioned earlier that there were no masks. There were masks. In fact, most of the people in these pictures yeah, have masks, it's, but it's definitely not all. but... So that's a concern, but it's, it's not great. We're talking great. about it being a super spreader event. Yeah, but, um, but most of these people are wearing masks, and there was a winner. The winner of the name Josh. Um, was it Josh? It was Josh. Here he is. Joshua Vinson Jr. He's a four-year-old, <laughs> um, and he is crowned the ultimate Josh with a Burger King crown. There's this it's adorable picture fantastic. of him the so do. He's a cute kid. <laughs> because nobody else was willing to hit him with a pool guess, noodle? Or? pretty much. Um, so, so he wins. So, so the winner was Josh, it turns out. Well, I guess I don't want to hear anybody else call themselves Josh. Yeah, pretty much. Again, you all have to figure out a new name. Can you think about all the wimpy-ass Joshes who didn't even go to fight for their name? What do you even stand for, non-Josh? I don't know if either of you guys care, but for what it's worth, I've already been reached out by a random guy named Nathan. (laughs) Uh, Do you need help training? We can help you practice fighting. I need. I want to try the double pool noodle. Oh, the double pool noodle. That sounds because I would knock. I would knock the crap out of a little kid named Nathan. You're talking the uh, my name, the Darth Maul, or the the one in each hand. Ahsoka Tano. I think dual wielding. There were definitely, by the way, I saw at least one, like, Darth Maul pool noodle. 
in a picture. <laughs> Let me see if I can so see. I, okay. So I have a precious moment. So in a speech talking about the violence of BLM protests, Donald Trump was talking about cans of soup <laughs> and talking yeah. about all of the advantages that cans of soup have over bricks. It's a very bizarre speech. He talks about how like a, a can of soup is the perfect weight and size, that it's more throwable than a brick, and that you can get more leverage behind it so it deals more damage to the target than a a brick would just because a brick is too yeah, heavy. I think I remember that. This is this is just soup for my family. Yeah, so so in <laughs> in mockery of uh, which is and, the only and, way to treat Oh, and Donald the other Trump. the major the other major point is that um soup is concealable and even if you catch them with soup, he he claimed that the the protesters would say um oh no, this soup isn't for a weapon to be thrown at police that this is the soup for the my soup family. is soup for my family um <laughs> the soup for, soup my, for family. my family i can't do a good drum impression but i don't care soup for my family and then they have cans of soup soup and they throw the cans of soup that's better than a brick because you can't throw a brick it's too heavy but a can of soup, you can really put some power into that, right? Yes, sir. And then when they get caught, they say, no, this is soup for my family. They're so innocent. This is soup for my family. Uh, it's incredible. And you have people coming over with bags of soup, big bags of soup, and they lay it on the ground, and the anarchists take it, and they start throwing it at our cops, at our police. And if it hits you, that's worse than a brick, because it's got force. It's the perfect size. It's, like, made perfect. And when they get caught, they say, no, this is just soup for my family. This is the, the best soup. The only thing I know to do to, like, a try and get soup. to a Trump thing is to just do a duck face with my lips. <laughs> and, and just so, try and, yeah. So anyway, um, and I'll, I'll have to be fact check on this. I believe that this is at the Dante Wright shooting protest. But there is a protester who is at a BLM event. And he's being interviewed, and he brings up his can of soup and says... Well, I've been here uh, all four nights. Uh, I'm just standing here today with uh, soup for my family. It's classic. We can put the link in the doobly-doo. It's just so funny. uh, Trump just getting absolutely mocked and styled on by this BLM protester with his soup. Because it's just a patently ridiculous idea. I don't think anybody was previously showing up to these protests with soup uh i would be very surprised well, to hear if there's an incident except for for their families except for their families right um so uh, <laughs> Unbelievable. if you if you show up at one of these events just remember to bring your soup for your family you know like 30 or 40 years ago or years from now years ago 30 or 40 years from now when the earth is all used up and we're just drifter colonies of a few humans left. We're going to look back on on the Trump presidency and laugh. <laughs> I, I think that's going to be the tone of the laugh as well. Yeah, it's going to be a craft. Kind of it's, it's a craft. You know what my favorite brand of soup for my family is? It's a, coming up with a catchphrase, I guess. I, I, was, I was thinking of the precious moments thing. 
and then I just yeah, you were doing kind of a precious moments transition. I'll give you full points. I was just gonna let you run that train right into the ground, but is that the way trains work? No, that's the point. Anyway, again, I need to come up with a catchphrase. Well, I hope we gave you nine things to talk about this week. Love you, bye. 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 I'm stealing your thing. Bringing in the baseline. <laughs> <laughs>episode is over but the conversation continues check us out on facebook twitter instagram and patreon it really helps to grow the show and everything we do is with the support from listeners like you anyway does anyone actually listen to the end of these episodes i could say whatever i want la di da antifa is a group i think tucker carlson has some good ideas Joe Biden is the Diet Pepsi to Trump's Coke. Thanks for listening. Bye. What about Amazon? Are, are you talking about Diana and the the tribe that was holding the mother cube away from Steppenwolf and Darkseid for eons?